Welcome back to the Act 2 podcast, a podcast for the real-life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh. And I'm Josh Hallman. And before we launch into our episode today about my favorite topic, Harry <laughs> Potter, <laughs> please remember to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on any of our other, wow, I'm like, please subscribe <laughs> to the podcast so you don't miss out on any of our other upcoming topics or interviews that are coming up. Give us a rating, write a comment, tell us how bad or good we're doing. And if you'd rather DM us with questions or any topic suggestions, or if you just want to say hi, you can reach out to us at act2writers at gmail.com. That's all spelled out. Or on our Instagram at act2writers. You can also find me, Tasha, on Instagram at Story Thursday, and on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. And you can find me on Twitter at Joshua Hallman and Instagram at Josh Hallman. And we don't have a act to Twitter handle. Uh-oh. Am I in trouble? Do I need to go do that? <laughs> do more. <laughs> I am a slacker. I will get on that. <laughs> I I usually use Instagram for the, the act two writingness of the world. So you know oh, you'll great. you'll find um inspirational quotes out there and, and stuff uh, just topics that screenwriters are talking about kind of comes up there. Um, writing exercises come up there, so it all goes there. Twitter is a toxic place. I don't want yeah, Act Two is. to be there. You're gonna, you're gonna, like, you'll send out a tweet that's like, "Back to the Future is my favorite movie," and then by the end, it's like, "Impeach Trump." You're like, <laughs> what? <laughs> How did we get here? <laughs> Tasha, what are we talking about today? We're talking about the first act of Harry Potter, and we're gonna talk about structure. But before we do that. I actually kind of wanted to say that in our previous episode, we did screw up a little bit. We talked about three-act structure and features, so go back and listen to it if you haven't heard it yet. But days after recording that, I realized we didn't actually talk about the timings for each of those story beats we discussed. For instance, like, at what point in your story do you break into act two? And I actually kind of think it's important to talk about, and I'll tell you why. Because I actually wrote a feature recently. It's a big budget studio movie. And my timings were very off, if you remember, Josh, because you, you read this in sort mm -hmm. of its early days, where my midpoint was like way too late in the movie because mm -hmm. I just had a lot of story to tell in the first half of Act 2. And me personally, I loved it all. <laughs> but when the studio notes came back, they were like, look, we see that your midpoint is actually happening on page 75. And that's not <laughs> where it's supposed to be. And we need you to figure out how to put the midpoint where it belongs, which is around page 50. And I very much hate structure notes. And that was actually a note that they, they gave that they knew exactly where the midpoint should be and it wasn't there. Um, but these structure notes, they always feel very arbitrary. And I feel like they kind of have this time code in their head where they think things have to go. And if the script doesn't fall into that, they note it. And that to me just always feels like a super uncreative note. But after my initial fuck you to that note phase, mm -hmm. I sat back and I was like, all right, what, is, what are they really trying to tell me? And the truth is I felt what they were trying to tell me when I was writing, which is that the first half of my act two was taking too long. So while I loved all of those scenes and felt they were very important, the truth is that I wasn't getting to the heart of those scenes in the most effective and time efficient way. 
So that's just kind of a way to say that the structure note is important and you do have to figure out when you're when you get that note what is actually your your problem like the thing that you've done wrong to um sort of make it feel like it's going too long yeah there's two things first of all as i was just saying right before this podcast you are the master of the what is the note behind the note you look behind you know the curtain and you're like <laughs> that's what they're actually doing well that's number one and the second thing is yeah the timing's really important and I think you're absolutely right. People kind of clock it. They're like, well, even though they'll say, fuck structure, I don't follow save the cat or, uh, you know, any other structure uh, manual, I guess, for lack of a better term. But then they're reading a script and they're like, well, wait a minute. Your inciting incident was on page 19. That's not right. Right. They clock it. And sometimes you can say, hey, that's just where my page 19 inciting incident needs to go. But I think before I do that... I will try and think about why they they felt that was an important note to give. And it's usually because I've just taken too long to get to my point. So that's all to say that page numbers are important to know. So without further ado, the timings of three-act structure are oh, standard-wise. Standard, yeah. Inciting incident is page 15. Feel free to argue with me about these, but this feels... Normal. Citing no, incident, page 15. I don't, <laughs> I don't listen to structure. <laughs> you don't even know what page yeah, number. You just you go by feel. About... Yeah. <laughs> Break into act two is usually page 25. Midpoint is page 50. Low point is page 75. Break into act three is page 100. And then your climax is about page 115. So that's it. That's I'm going to leave that there. Um, but we are going to test this theory about timings as we talk about the first act of the best movie series of all time, Harry Potter. Wow. Freaking Hufflepuff Tasha. Let's go. <laughs> Slytherin turned Hufflepuff. <laughs> what a journey it has been. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right, so the way we're going to do this is we're not going to go scene by scene. We're going to try and sum up as best as I can because you know me. I like to go scene by scene. Mm -hmm. We're going to kind of sum up and then just talk about how good they do <laughs> of summing things up in Harry Potter. Yeah, it's, it's basically like why this worked. Why is Harry Potter so good? And we're going to talk about that in the first act of so the Sorcerer's Stone. Yes. Yes. To yeah. be clear. There's a lot of Harry Potter out there. There's a lot of Harry Potter. We're starting with Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone or the Sorcerer's Stone. Um, it's a movie that was directed by Chris Columbus. It was adapted by Steve Cloves. And of course, J.K. Rowling wrote the original book. Um, and it's the best movie of all time. Series <laughs> of all time. <laughs> all right. So we let's start with the opening image. Okay. So the opening image, as described by Blake Snyder in Save the Cat, is that it is a visual that represents the struggle and tone of the story, a snapshot of the main character's problem before the adventure begins. So the opening image in Harry Potter Sorcerer's Stone is really a four-minute-long sequence where you're introduced to Privet Drive on a dark night, Dumbledore comes out of the shadows. He uses that deluminator. So immediately there's some magic involved here. He talks to this cat 
that through the shadows along the wall, we see that she transforms into Professor McGonagall. And then there's some kind of back and forth exposition disguised in dialogue about this little boy that has survived something terrible. And are the rumors true? Yes, the good and the bad rumors are true. And finally, this monster character arrives on a flying motorcycle. So magic is definitely part of this world. And he has this little child that they were just talking about. And there's some more dialogue exposition of, oh, this child is going to be famous. Are you sure you want to leave him here with these terrible humans? And Dumbledore says it's better that he grows up here until he's ready. Uh-oh. And then he leaves the little baby all wrapped up on the porch with a little letter and then just says good luck harry potter so that is our opening what i would call the opening image of the movie yeah and also i just want to say how well they establish the characters who dumbledore is who the cat lady is mcgonagall mcgonagall what's her name mcgonagall mcgonagall and then uh you know please forgive josh he's sorry i'm sorry and then uh hagrid i love these this series by the way I'm, I'm very into it. I just forgot. So whatever. So then Hagrid comes flying in and she's like, are you sure you can trust him? And then he's like, I trust him with my life. And I just feel like they do a great job of establishing where everyone falls in the Harry Potter universe. And you already know Hagrid, he's the man. He's going to be with Harry and we trust him, which is important, I think. Yeah. And that Dumbledore is an authority figure. McGonagall definitely defers to him, trusts his opinion on things. Um, they're, they're clearly friends, Dumbledore and McGonagall. And there's something about their, their outfits that is such a stark juxtaposition to the very average, everyday little British suburb that we're in. They're in these like wizard clothes. So there's so much going on behind just the dialogue and the action that's happening to give you a complete sense of character and also the feel of what this movie is and, and what it's about. So I think that's a fantastic opening image. And it creates so much mystery. You want to know what the hell they're talking about. And I love that you get enter the dialogue at a place that's like, they all know way more information than you ever will. <laughs> yeah. But it's just enough for you to get kind of a taste of the mystery that's to come. Yeah, I agree. That's what's so great about it. It's like, this is a hard thing to do where you're juggling all this backstory and you're kind of coming into the, this world and they just make it seem really easy and it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think something that's a great example, and J it ha it's in the J.K. Rowling book as well, so Steve Close didn't invent this for the series as a starting point, um, but I think it's such a smart entry point to a big world movie, or really any movie, but particularly in a big world movie where you do have to explain so much for you to enter kind of further along in the story. Like, we could have entered this this movie with Voldemort killing Harry's parents and... You know, meeting baby Harry in in that whole opener yeah. where he actually like kind of half kills Voldemort. We could have entered there or we could have entered even earlier where like we see the parents coddling Harry and oh, they love Harry so much. And oh, isn't it sad that Harry is orphaned? But we don't, we start in the middle of action. And that's what makes me so engaged in those first four minutes is I just keep leaning forward wanting to know more. So maybe or starting your movie a little bit further along than you think 
is actually a really great way of thinking about your opening. All right, next section is what Blake Snyder would call the setup phase, what I think we all call the setup phase, where as he puts it, you expand on the before snapshot and present the main character's world as it is and what is missing in their life. And I think this is such a great example of setting up a status quo where we immediately cut to 11 years later after Harry's laid down on the porch as a little baby. We cut to 11 years later, Harry's waking up in a cupboard under the stairs. His cousin Dudley runs down. And what's so good about this moment is that he jumps on like a very particular stair so that sawdust rains down mm -hmm. on Harry below, which to me immediately flags that he's been doing this for a while. He knows exactly which stair to, to you know, land on. And he's a bit of a bully. So immediately we, we get that set up. Dudley rushes into the kitchen. It's his birthday. His parents are completely loving to Dudley and then really scathing to Harry. Just Oh my they, god, they're terrible. They're so terrible. Like these people the should way, be carted away. Should does does it explain in the books that these are like the final people in Harry's life? He doesn't have any grandparents. He doesn't have any other aunts and uncles, friends of the family. I actually don't think he does, but there's also a reason on top of that that is given for why Harry needs to go to this family. That's never put in the movies, but there's some kind of magic logic where by being Fine. in their house, it's like an extra safety net, which I don't remember the rules of that logic, but there's a magic reason. Okay. You know, I'm trying to poke holes in everything. You should, because Harry Potter can stand up to your poking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there's some details here that are also really great. Not only the jumping on that stair, which gives us a sense that this has happened before, not only the reactions to Harry in the kitchen, but Harry's also wearing clothes that are way too big for him. He's, of course, coming out of a tiny cupboard. There's a sense that Harry's neglected, that he's bullied. And that's without a lot. There's like no explanation there. It's all organic. There's a flow to it. Yeah, there's there's a little bit more than a sense that he's yeah. neglected. <laughs> What's so great about that moment is Anne Petunia is like lovingly just like snuggling up against her son and then yeah. Harry enters and the reaction is such a stark difference. She gets angry and like disgusted with Harry and I think that look alone and the tone of her voice like that's sort of all you need to yeah. establish the status quo for Harry. Totally. That little that little uh, Dudley as we talked about just a quick shout out. He has a full redemption on Queen's Gambit. <laughs> I haven't so, finished the series yet, but I'm glad he's redeemed. Ah, uh, spoiler? Okay, so. moving on. So. <laughs> um, so this is about five minutes into the movie where Dudley's clearly very spoiled. Everyone hates Harry. And what's so great about this, it's just a minute after the you know opening image sequence. Um, but we already are on Harry's side because... I think we naturally are drawn to the underdog in the story. I mm -hmm. think there are very few people who watch Harry Potter and like, yeah, Dudley's my boy, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's just a great way of showing the status quo. And I'm not going to go scene by scene, but I want to bring up the next sequence where um, they're in the driveway and then they're going to the reptile zoo for Dudley's birthday. And the reason why I mm -hmm. want to bring it up is because 
In the books, there were actually several friends that went with Dudley on his birthday. And Harry Potter was meant to like go to a babysitter or something and that fell through. So he has to go with them. There's no choice. And I think this is a great example of stuff we've talked about in the past. I think particularly in the Pixar episode about paring down to the main essentials because mm -hmm. you don't need all of those friends. Not only does it add more characters and more busyness to the screen at right at this kind of tender opening moment where you really want to strongly establish your characters, but you can easily get across this point that Harry is bullied just by the interaction you just saw with Dudley and the parents. You don't need a bunch of other kids. And also I think taking out these extra kids at this point does kind of double duty for you where it allows us to now focus more on the emotional core of just this family and their relationship because we don't have all this other busyness of other kids. So just want to point that out. That's just a really great example of something that we talk about in terms of paring things down. That's great. Now, in the next scene is, and when they're in the reptile zoo, is the first time Harry Potter talks. And I bring it up because this is where we've already liked Harry because he's an underdog. And now we like Harry for who he is. Because Dudley, you see him being a jerk to the snake and the snake won't move. And he's angry that, you know, animals won't do what he says. And then Harry gets in there and he just talks to the snake, man. Just like, hey, man, how are you? How's your family? Yeah. Oh, you don't have family? Oh, we're both orphans. Cool. And Harry's just like a sweet kid. And that's another way to set up the status quo that your character sort of is surrounded by a world that he doesn't fit in, I think. Yeah, totally. And I know you were saying you don't want to go scene by scene, and let's try not to. But every scene is so important and does something. And what you missed also, which I thought was really cool, was in the uh, driveway scene, the father or Harry's uncle is like, I don't want to see any magic. Like, meaning we're already establishing that Harry has done some shit. We don't know what it is, but something has happened, which I think is really interesting because in another version, it would be like the first time Harry has done magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. There, He says, I don't want any funny business or you're, you're going to get punished, basically. Yeah. And that too, the fact that he says calls it funny business is helpful as an audience because magic hasn't yet been spoken of. We just kind of have maybe seen hints that magic exists, but now uh, Mr. Dursley is calling it funny business. And we're like, what kind of funny business? What is, what is the yeah. stuff that he can do? And again, we're along for that mystery. Yeah, you're right. I missed yeah. it. Oh, damn. That's do we a... need to go scene by scene? <laughs> no, 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 no. We, well, we probably, we say that we're like, nope. And probably by the end of this, it was like, what it? Break it's a full-on breakdown <laughs> yeah but but yeah when he and then when he's talking to the snake it's important because he is like i don't know my parents either mr mm -hmm. snake i live in captivity too it's and, a fantastic way to get exposition and guess what he's a fucking slytherin just like that snake slytherin forever <laughs> all right well i was excited about it yeah you're right there absolutely is no fat up to this point and we're at about eight minutes 30 seconds uh by the time harry has finally done his first bit of magic which is basically erase the glass wall of the snake tank and yeah. dudley falls in and it's like it's sweet revenge it's this really satisfying moment as an audience member because you've just seen this family and dudley in particular bully little harry potter whom he's we're really starting to like and then he gets his comeuppance. Um, so mm -hmm. that's a really fun bit to have just already in your status 
quo section of your movie. Yeah. So we're back home and Dursley is pissed. He physically abuses Harry Potter and Harry says he doesn't know what happened, but it was like magic. So what's interesting about this moment is we're ahead of Harry at this part of the movie. We know more about him than he knows about himself. He does not know anything about Dumbledore and this flying motorcycle that Hagrid came in on, but we do. So we know that there's magic. And at this point, we're really excited that he's going to discover why he was able to make that glass wall fade. And that's another bit of the mystery and the reason why we're leaning in to this movie at just eight minutes and 30 seconds in. Yeah. It's genius. It is genius. And it's page eight on the script, by the way. You have the script and you didn't send it to me? I, I've definitely sent you all of these scripts before. <laughs> have you? Yeah. Oh, man. This was the exact reaction when I told you I have the Harry Potter scripts. You're like, you haven't <laughs> sent them to me? <laughs> <laughs> what if this In is hindsight. like my own personal hell where like I always want the Harry Potter scripts and and I never actually get them, even though you send them to me. It's just like this constant time loop for me <laughs> where I can never, ever read them. It's just the only thing I want to read. <laughs> All right. Next section. <laughs> next section is interesting because the adventure kind of really starts to move forward as this owl arrives with a letter for Harry. So things have changed. Like the world has been normal. Harry's been the only weird thing in it. And now suddenly something else weird is starting to go on. Mm -hmm. And it feels like a change in the status quo is definitely happening. And they tear his letter away. The Dursleys are clearly afraid of whatever is in this letter and they know what's in this letter. We don't quite know. We just know it's going to change Harry's life. This kind of continues where more and more owls are starting to arrive and we see like Mr. Dursley is breaking down mentally. He can't handle it. <laughs> there are too many letters, too much weirdness is going on. And then finally on a Sunday when you never get mm -hmm. post, there is just this flood of owls and this flood of letters that Harry finally is able to get his hands on. And that's what then in terms of cause and effect causes the family to leave their little suburban town and go to this crazy island tower in the middle of the ocean, basically. And when we cut there, everyone's asleep. It's a quiet moment. It's kind of a downbeat where Harry's just kind of quietly celebrating his 11th birthday by drawing a cake in the dirt on the floor. And he says, make a wish, Harry. And boom, that's when the door shakes and Hagrid comes into his life. And that is 13 minutes into the movie. So we are very nearing our inciting incident here. But what's also interesting about this movie is that it's kind of silly. They go to this rock and it's, it's a very good job of being comical but believable at the same time. And I think even the son makes a comment like, dad's mad, isn't he? Mm -hmm. Like, and, and... Just that idea alone, you know, it's goofy, but it works. Yeah, it works because of that line, I think, where it's think acknowledged so within the world itself that dad has gone crazy and this is not a normal thing to do. Yeah, I agree. So the note is, when you're doing something crazy, call it out. <laughs> All right, so the next section, you're right, Josh, it is a, it's a section. I clocked it at about five minutes worth of 
inciting incident. So it's not like your inciting incident is just a single thing that happens. Sometimes it is. But in this case, it's about five minutes worth of Hagrid coming in and he's changing Harry's entire life. So as Blake Snyder says in Save the Cat, the catalyst is the moment where life as it is changes. It's the telegram. It's the act of catching your loved one cheating. It's allowing a monster on board the ship or meeting the true love of your life. The before world is no more and change is now underway. Yes. And the fact that we're even going back to Blake Snyder so much speaks so highly about Save the Cat because it just <laughs> sticks. I feel like this is a low point in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Are you that girl who always does the Save the Cat breakdown? <laughs> no. Nope. That That's Josh, that girl. <laughs> All right, so the section of, of Hagrid is fantastic because he gives so much exposition here in a way where I do not feel like it's exposition. I'm like waiting for him to give me this information because they've been keeping it from me for 13 minutes and this is exactly what I've been craving. So mm -hmm. Hagrid explains that he's the keeper of keys and grounds at Hogwarts. He gives that famous line that you're a wizard, Harry. Yeah. And we learn that the Dursleys have known this entire time that Harry could do magic and have kept it from him. And this, by the way, I think is one of the things that makes Harry Potter feel so special and why people can get so obsessed with it is this idea that any one of us could be Harry and we just don't yeah. know it yet. So then Hagrid finally delivers Harry his letter at about 16 minutes into the movie and it says you have been accepted at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. So the world has changed. Harry's life has been upended at right where Blake Snyder kind of says there should be <laughs> an inciting incident. And that's why everyone kind of uses it, not because Blake Snyder said it, but because it, it feels like this very natural place to jumpstart your movie to the next energy level. Yeah, completely agree. So Hagrid has this great line at the end of this sequence here in this random tower in the middle of nowhere, where he says, best be off unless you'd rather stay, of course. And that made me think of, again, Blake Snyder uh, and how he articulates the break into act two. And while this is not the break into act two, what Blake Snyder says about that moment in your script is that it's where the character chooses to enter a new world. They make a new choice and the journey begins. So right here you see, Hagrid literally gives him the choice. You can stay or we can go do this magic thing. And Harry chooses. He has a moment. They actually hold on him for a second as he kind of looks around this current status quo world and chooses to go out the door with Hagrid. And I think that's such a great moment. And it's really interesting to think of the inciting incident as a kind of mini break into act two, because I even wrote in my notes as I was rewatching, I was like, Wait, is this the break into act two? And I had to recheck the time code that we were at. Wow. Because yeah. it does feel like I am deliberately choosing a new life from now on. Yeah, you're right. And I love, I'm a big fan of the choice when, I mean, I guess the, probably the clearest example is the matrix, you know, the red or blue pill. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, I'm such a big fan of that, that like idea that you get to, you choose your own adventure and all the things things that happen to you are now your fault yeah i think it's a fantastic reminder i actually just got this note last week that my character felt like she was reacting to things and not taking action and i think mm -hmm. thinking of your inciting incident sure hagrid comes to him 
But Harry ultimately gets to choose whether he goes with Hagrid or not. And I think thinking of your inciting incident as that moment, rather than as something your character is simply reacting to, and that's why the journey starts, is a really great way of thinking about it. And then they even, they up the ante in just a little bit and take us into the second act. Mm-hmm. That's the great reminder to me when we were talking about it over text earlier was that the Harry Potter Act One is a constant push forward with just new twists and turns that does up the ante every single time. And this is an example where it's like, oh, wait, is this is this that big jump into Act Two? No, it's just halfway through Act One, but it feels so exciting that mm -hmm. it feels like a big break. So if you can do that with your movie, it will feel as fantastic. Yeah, just keep upping it. More. <laughs> so the next section is Harry Potter and Hagrid. They're walking through London and he takes them up to this black door with no windows and the sign appears only when you walk up to it, the leaky cauldron. And yeah. some really great stuff is actually going on here. And it's just kind of, it could be in anyone else's hands, in lesser hands, just be a traveling scene of moving from, you know, point A of status quo London real world into Diagon Alley. But it's not. There's a lot more going on. For instance, the bartender says, Hagrid, the usual, I presume. And that one line tells us that Hagrid's a regular drinker here. And this ends mm -hmm. up coming back later in Act 3 when Hagrid reveals that he gave away a really big secret to someone when he was drinking and playing cards with them down at the, the pub. And it also yeah. just gives us good character for Hagrid. And then, of course, in the whole place, the whole place quiets down when they find out it's Harry Potter here. They all introduce themselves. He's famous. Awesome. We get that big intro to Professor Quirrell here, who ends up, of course, being the main villain of the movie. And we kind of flag that he doesn't touch Harry Potter's hand, which is a little weird, but we're we're so kind of engaged and wrapped up in the information that's being told to us. We don't really pay attention to it much. And we get some clues about Harry Potter's past here that, you know, Quirrell has that line of, because he's the, introduced as the dark arts professor. And he's like, ah, not that you need the dark arts, like, hey, Potter. And that's yeah. really intriguing. You're like, wait, why doesn't he need the dark arts? Like, I want to yeah. know that. And again, it's upping the ante in terms of just parsing a little bit of information your way as an audience member, but not giving you the full information. It feels so real. Everything mm -hmm. about this, and when they go into the alley, everything, you're like, yeah, this place probably exists. Like, you're certain it's there, and it's so subtle, and it's so perfect, and it's so cluttered at times, and the everything, the costume design, everything is just perfect. And some of it's in the script, some of it's not in the script, but that's what I just... It's, that's what makes this movie so great. It's just working on every single level. It's awesome. It is awesome. I was actually, I flagged apart really early in the opening that I didn't bring up here because it felt like I was being nitpicky. But since you brought it up, there's Do that it. moment when after the, the first owl comes, I think it's after the second owl comes, where Mr. Dursley is bolting the, the letterbox. He's like putting wood there and blocking it off. And the way it plays is that you just hear that sound and then we see it through Harry Potter's point of view because he opens the cupboard under the stairs and looks out to see this happening. And there's another moment a couple uh, minutes later where it's Sunday and there's no post on Sundays, but Harry sees out the window an owl flying by. And so he peeks out the window and suddenly we see dozens of owls. So 
it's important because it is completely through Harry's point of view. And I think, again, in lesser hands in terms of directing as well as writing, this could just be scenes that happen. And mm -hmm. so we feel distanced from the Harry Potter character. But because we're seeing things from his POV in a very deliberate way, we feel taken into the world with him. So yeah. I feel like those little beats are actually really important. I completely agree. So glad we're on the same page with Harry. This makes me really happy. I sort of wish I didn't love Harry Potter so we could just argue about it. <laughs> but I love I it. I am so, this is, feels like the one fandom we're like really on the same page about. I actually agree with that. <laughs> and it came out of nowhere too. I know. I Well, once I watched it, I was like, oh my God, what have I been missing? I came really late. I didn't see, I mean, I saw years like, all of these like years ago and i still hadn't seen all of them yeah I just josh just told me like last week that he just saw the last movie no not the last movie the second and third movie oh jesus the prisoner but you skipped and... two and three and then just saw the others what kind of life do you lead that's chaos gives <laughs> <laughs> me anxiety just doing. thinking about that <laughs> i know i just was like oh this is cool dude's a little wizard i think i know what's going on here and then and now it's Josh crazy. owns like several wands. That, that's true. One right <laughs> and a Harry Potter sweater. He's in. in. He's all in. I'm in a house. I'm in <laughs> Slytherin house. <laughs> all right. We're out of the leaky cauldron and we're in Harry's point of view. He's asking the same questions we're asking, which is why am I famous? Why does everybody know my name? Which is cool. It's cool to now be on the same page as Harry. We want to know the same things that he wants to know. And then we open that brick wall and we're in Diagon Alley. We're in a completely new world. It's magical. It's wonderful. Harry can't afford anything here. So now we got to go to Gringotts Bank. And while here, Hagrid takes care of some other business that will become major plot in Act 2. Mm -hmm. And he's very mysterious about it here. It's about you know what in Vault, you know which. So again, no scene is wasted. We're coming here for a completely other reason. We're coming here because Harry needs money, but some big mm -hmm. plot stuff is starting to happen. Yeah, and I think you bring up such a great point about being caught up with Harry because, you know, I've definitely gotten the note where it's like we're ahead of our protagonist. Something I was recently writing, it's like we're just always like one step ahead. And it's easy to fall into that trap, I think, especially when you're kind of creating a world and... There's a little mystery behind somebody, but it's really great and cool to see how they did this and where Harry catches up. And it's like, boom, we're all on the same page of what we know. Mm -hmm. I think that's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting that they walk both of those lines up until this point, where in the opening, because we got to see that opening image of Harry when he was a baby, we know more than him for maybe like 10 minutes of the movie, right? Actually, for 13 minutes when, until Hagrid comes in. And then we're finally caught up with him and we kind of know about the same as, as he does. Yeah. And so that's interesting that the first version where we're actually ahead of him, it creates fun and excitement because he doesn't know he can do magic, but we do. And that's really exciting. And we want to see how it, it comes out. Where in the second half, we're like, yeah, we're just as curious as him. And now that we're starting to enter the world, now we can be on the same page because now we get to experience this new world with him. So I think if we were ahead of Harry at this Diagon Alley moment, the Diagon Alley moment would not feel as fun because we know more information than what we're about to be presented. Yeah. 
that, that makes, makes sense. sense? I, does those two things does. make sense? No, no, it definitely does. And I feel like in, in first acts, you can kind of get away with this mystery of what's going on and knowing a little bit more than your character as long as it pays off in mm-hmm. the first act. And I feel like later on in second and third acts, I'm, I feel like you can be ahead of your character for like a scene and maybe if it pays off in like a scare or something to that extent, but yeah. you know, someone's hiding in your closet or whatever, but I prefer to not be ahead of a character for too long in a second and third act. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think it's something interesting to pay attention to when we do breakdowns, because it's always something I'm struggling with as well is how much information does the audience need to be with their character and find wish fulfillment in the character versus like, how little information do they need um, so that they're not confused, I guess is what I'm trying to say. There's this fine line between giving them too little information and they're confused and then giving them too much where they're way ahead of your character. And so that's something I'm always struggling with. So I think it would be interesting to do these breakdowns and really kind of pay attention to those bits as well. Yeah. And I think here why it works, just to help better articulate it to myself, is because we're about to step through the threshold into a completely new world that's completely made up by J.K. Rowling and that we've never seen before, it becomes important that we're with Harry versus ahead of him. Because let's say we did know Diagon Alley existed and we did know that there was all of this crazy magic before we go into Diagon Alley. Then once we see Diagon Alley, we kind of don't care because we knew that this was happening. So we have to completely be with Harry in this moment for it to really pay off. Yeah. In. All right. So we go to the vaults. We see that Harry's parents have taken care of them after their death, which I think is a very heartwarming moment. And it makes us kind of really like his parents, even though we haven't seen them yet, which is a great moment. And then the next vault is this heavily locked door. And the thing that's inside is super tiny. And he tells Harry not to mention it to anyone. So we're creating more mystery, which is great. Also creating the trust between Harry and Hagrid. Very true. It's a good character moment as well. Mm -hmm. Now we're back in Diagon Alley. Harry's buying supplies. He still needs a wand, so he goes to Ollivander's. And now Harry has his wand choose him here. Um, And it's the third wand. And I kind of want to talk about this for a second because there's something in writing called the rule of thirds, which is this idea that to maximize the fun of something or for something to really land that's important, you want to hit it three times. So in this case, it's about the fun. So the first wand that he waves, it's a total disaster. He breaks some shit. The second wand he waves, we wonder, oh my gosh, is this going to be it? But that goes wrong again. But if the third time went wrong again, it now feels like the joke is kind of dragging out, right? So instead, mm-hmm. the third wand he waves, it's a, it's a perfect fit. They also work this into the story, which I think is very creative, where the first two wands are presumably related to his parents' wands, and then the third wand is related to the one that gave him the scar on his forehead, which prompts us into kind of a new mystery where now we're thinking about the villain. So the wand chooses the wizard. You know, he who must not be named did great things, terrible, but also great. So we're talking kind of around the villain, And it's clear everyone knows this guy, that we're kind of the only ones with Harry that are out of the loop. And so now we're just dying to know, okay, what is this villain story? Now that we're in this magic world, now now we need the next Andy up, right? We We need to know more about the villain. And so literally the next scene is that Leaky Cauldron scene where Harry finally asks Hagrid 
about Voldemort, this guy who killed his parents. So it's all just so perfect. <laughs> it's amazing. That's it. That's all I have to say about anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are we done? Yeah, we're done. It's <laughs> just <is> perfect. It's <laughs> a perfect movie. Um, no, this Leaky Cauldron scene is great, too, because now it's just full-on exposition. We get some great music to make it feel scary. But some of the things that you really flag and that are important is that nobody stood up to him when he decided to kill them. Nobody except you, Harry. And we also get that Voldemort might be dead, but he may just be kind of biding his time somewhere. So maybe this guy's still alive. That's pretty scary. And then we get another mystery, which is something about you, Harry, stumped him that night. And that's why you're famous. You're the boy who lived. So that's just an incredible setup for our main character. That literally nobody else in the world could survive this villain except our hero. And we yeah. don't know why. I absolutely want to go into act two to find out why. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm in. I'm all in on figuring out what's going on. Yeah, it's interesting. You sort of don't think of this movie as a mystery, but it, it hits all of those notes in Act 1 to make you want to go into Act 2. Yeah, and that's that was something that I kind of think about with Harry Potter, and they do such a great job of setting up the mystery, but that's not what the movie's about. It's mm -hmm. about something else. And it's just, it, yeah, it's just done at such an expert level, obviously, that it's you, you just watch it, you're like marveling at how this is done in such a like an effortless kind of way i feel like this is a bonding moment for us josh we've never even talked about harry potter never but i can see the passion in your eyes and it makes me really happy <laughs> i love harry potter <laughs> i uh had a meeting today actually and um started talking about harry potter and i was like oh look i got got this tattoo and it's all over zoom right and it's dark in my office they couldn't really see it so i'm like standing up to my camera trying to show them my massive half sleeve of hogwarts and they're like okay i feel like in person it would have been like oh that's like that's so cool tasha like let's talk yeah. about harry potter fandom over zoom it was like okay well let's please change the subject this girl is a little bit off she's showing us her arm on zoom yeah. <laughs> anyways Damn. anyways all right so we're in the next section of the movie which is is the last bit of act one which is king's cross station where hagrid Boom. gives harry his ticket <laughs> disappears inexplicably which again very cool magic is doing some crazy shit that's just not explained so that creates more mystery Harry Potter struggles to find platform nine and three quarters, and he only finds it when he sees this family of gingers talking about muggles. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's your boy right there that we're this getting my, into. That's my boy. <laughs> but is, Ron does not it. get his intro here. Ron gets his intro after act one. Oh, okay. That's right. He like kind of pulls up with the family, but really we're focusing on Fred and George who are kind of pranksters and they have a little back yeah. and forth. But that's really it. We're still following Harry, really, at this moment. He runs at the wall, and he's suddenly through a portal to platform nine and three quarters. And for the first time, Harry has literally entered a very different world. Nine and three yeah. quarters, a place that does not exist for anyone else who's not magic. Again, Diagon Alley is kind of that, but that's like one ante up to hitting this point. And this point comes in at 34 minutes. 
Yeah, it's great. And that is the end of our first act. Perry enters a new world. There's no Perry going ends. back. Even if he knew how to get back, he probably wouldn't know how to run through platform nine and three quarters to get back. <laughs> no. And you know what I'm thinking is, again, like, I, like obviously I love Star Wars and big, big fan of Marvel movies and obviously Harry Potter. And I feel like they all started in their origin stories of just really grounding the world with obviously A New Hope and then obviously Harry Potter and then even Iron like Man. Iron Man. Yeah. How it was just, it feels just very like tactile and real. I very much agree with that philosophy. I'm very much of that mind. All right. So we Have agree we ever again. agreed so much on we, anything? We're best friends now. <laughs> <laughs> Until we do the next one. <laughs> I wonder if we're going to be best friends when we do an Indiana Jones or if we'll disagree. Oh, man. I don't know. <laughs> but going back to Harry Potter, that's it, right? We're, he's in. He's on his adventure now. He's on his adventure. I do want to say, though, going back to some of our structure things that we talked about, just in the way they articulate it, I think is – I'm going to say it so that you can see how well um, Cloves did on this script – so sequence two, if you remember, we did sequences in our structure episode. Sequence two, which is the second half of act two, is the predicament and the lock-in. And the way it's described is that it sets up the predicament that will be central to the story with first intimations of possible obstacles. So yes, we've definitely set up the predicament of this that's central to the story with the first intimations of possible obstacles. There's a there's a huge villain out there that is terrifying and kills people and is somehow connected to Harry and he may be still alive. And we just mm -hmm. don't know. We don't know what happened. We don't have enough information. But there are those first intimations of possible obstacles. Also, the main predicament of the story is this kid who knows nothing about magic suddenly entering a totally new world. Also, as part of sequence two, the main tension is established by the end of the act. And the sequence ends when the main character is locked in the predicament, propelling him or her into a new direction to attain their goal. Yeah. All of that is in there. It is, in my mind, a perfect act one. There is not a single scene that feels extraneous. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And my big takeaway, I know I've said this, is just the fact that they could just keep kind of upping these moments where it kind of culminates into jumping into this brick wall out of all things. You know, it, it, it's awesome. Yeah, it's such a great lesson in writing for this world, but I think you can take that lesson into any genre. Oh, yeah, totally. Just keep upping it. Now I feel like I want to go back and look at all my act ones. I was just thinking the exact same thing. I was like, wow, maybe, maybe I need to redo everything. <laughs> look on your face just staring into the distance <sighs> this makes so much sense the good news is that i feel like you do it inherently so you you know that there's stuff that you have to amp up but taking yeah. taking this kind of closer eye to it will only make it better yeah yeah and i love this kind of hero the like the unsung hero it's my favorite yeah, you love the average guy who gets thrown into some crazy shit and has to figure out how to survive it. The fucking best. <laughs> Man, so do you feel like Harry's arc over the series is the most perfect arc for that character, your favorite kind of character? 
in terms of where he starts and where he ends? I have to think about it. I mean, he ends as the savior of the whole world. I remember. <sighs> yeah, but he's all he, like, even towards the end, he like doesn't want to be. Or no, he does want to be, but it's not like he possesses any crazy power. He's yeah. He's just like always on the, like the defense. Yeah, if we end up doing a breakdown of every Harry Potter movie, which we will. Of course. We will see that Hermione is the true hero of the Harry Potter series. <laughs> and why is Harry even in it? <laughs> yeah, that was always my, my big beef with Harry Potter was like, I was just waiting for him to like have, I guess, the Luke Skywalker moment where he's mm. like, just fully transformed into this Jedi and he's now mastered the magic and he's just like, yo, here comes my fucking rage. But he's just average Harry when he gets done saving the world. He's just <laughs> back to the guy who's kind of like, okay. <laughs> You're right. He never, he never fully embraces the force as it were. There's never quite that moment. Which isn't bad. It's just, it's just a personal preference. No, it's, it's a problem I have with the series as well wow are you going to do a spin-off of hermione granger if warner brothers will let me god willing <laughs> hermione finds like like time travel magic and just resets the entire harry potter universe <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like a doctor strange like series where yeah. hermione just uses her time turner yeah by the way there's the another hero. universe here <laughs> yeah. you go all right we're gonna talk about harry potter a lot more it looks like yeah. because we really enjoyed this and learned so much um but i'm going to take us out with the quote of the day by jk rowling you have to resign yourself to wasting lots of trees before you write anything really good that's just how it is it's like learning an instrument you've got to be prepared for hitting wrong notes occasionally or quite a lot. That's just part of the learning process. All right, so please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act2Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha3.0. And me at Joshua Hallman on Twitter and Josh Hallman on Instagram. And as always, the Act2 podcast is a production of Act2, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist, music by 414 Beg, which you can find on Spotify. Mm -hmm.